When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey everybody, welcome to a day four Browns training camp edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby. I'm Mary Kay Cabot. And I'm Scott Patsko. We are again in the parking lot across the street from the Browns facility. I swear there was not traffic driving by when I hit record, but as soon as I did, there's like a motorcycle and a bunch of cars. So again, you're going to hear some of that background noise, but I like to call it flavor, I guess. Yeah. Uh, first and ten, we're going to go through this again. We each pick 10 topics. We don't know what they are. We haven't sat down and, and prepped each other on what we're going to pick. We are over to Mary Kay picking first today. So topic number one, Mary Kay. I'm going to go with the fight. It was sort of the the buzz of the day. Uh, Chad Thomas and Farrell Brown got into it. Uh, it was very, very heated. They had to be separated. And uh, it just continued on for a while. Uh, Orson Charles got involved. Uh, Christian Kirksey had to kind of try to cool Chad Thomas down. Then they had to run gassers afterwards as punishment. During the gassers, we had more fireworks when Chad Thomas flipped the bird to a fan who was heckling him to hustle. So that was kind of our excitement for the day. And uh, it just kind of went on from there. But, uh, you know, we asked Freddie Kitchens about it. And, you know, I, I personally think that Chad Thomas should apologize for flipping the bird to the fan in some way, shape, or form. I don't know if it'll happen or if it won't, but I think he should. Yeah, that wasn't a good look, you know. Um, I think the reply from the fan was, you're going to be sitting up here with us soon, you know, if you don't uh, get your act together. So, yeah, there should be something. um, Like I think you said earlier today, it was a public event. These fans came here with with children, and um, they came to watch the Browns, and Tons of people saw that. Everybody was watching Chad Thomas run those gassers, you know. And, yeah, it wasn't a good look. But I think it was surprising that when we talked to the players afterwards, everybody seemed, you know, they were cool with it. Um, Nobody nobody seemed to have any issue with the fact that that things got out of hand. It was more of a, yeah, that's going to happen. Everybody's competing. Even Freddie Kitchens, to some extent, um was happy that those players were so passionate about competing, but they just took it a little too far. Um, maybe if it happens again and everybody runs again, <laughs> we'll hear something different from the players. But, um, but yeah, I think some apology should probably be made. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, as far as the fight goes, fights happen. We we see them all the time in training. We saw one in the spring, in fact. So, uh, you know, fights happen in training camp. It's hot. They're in pads. Um, You know, as far as as the bird thing, and you know, Mary Kay, if you want, we can kind of cheat here and give you two topics there. Really? Yeah, we can make that uh, another topic as well. But anyway, we'll get to that. Um, You know, look, the fans were being knuckleheads, but when you're out there on Sundays... There's 70, 60, 70,000 knuckleheads in the stands trying to rattle you. There's an offensive lineman across from you who, mm-hmm. who's going to say whatever he needs to mm-hmm. say to try and rattle you. You've got to be able to hold your composure and, you know, make sure you're not flipping birds at the fans or doing a Johnny Manziel and flipping a bird at the sideline or, or something like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm with you guys. I think it's, it's not a great look. I, you know, it's not going to kill the guy to say hey you know what i shouldn't have done that i lost my cool i apologize i know there's families and and kids around um shouldn't have done it so there we go that's uh if he could keep his composure they wouldn't have been running gasters in the first place right yeah exactly and and i'm sure that there's going to be an apology to his teammates as well for making them uh run gassers uh let's see topic number two let's go with um I'm, i'm very interested i wrote about this today I think we've touched on this a little bit, but I'm still really interested in the defensive scheme and how they're going to use their cornerbacks. And it was it was kind of interesting today because we saw T.J. Carey start on the outside. Then we saw him move inside, and Greedy Williams and Terrence Mitchell got work with the first team. They're really shuffling these defensive backs in and out on, on various groups uh, with various units, a lot of three safety looks, and they go to the second team and they're back in, in a 4-3 look. Uh, it's, it's really, I, I think the defense that they're going to be able to run out there, the goal is to have as much versatility uh, as possible, not just not just in who they have on the field, but the shape of the defense as well. It, it seems like the Browns are kind of stepping forward into uh, the modern NFL and, and kind of trying to catch up with some teams that are, are are getting creative and, and trying to do things to, to stop all these high-powered offenses. You know, um, you know, Greg, uh, Greg Williams was very aggressive, but when you have you know your your, your deep safety so far back in the whole, the underlying theme of the defense is just to not get beat deep. Um, that's that's a big difference compared to this year when they're they're trying to have versatility, you know, and they're looking for those players who can do that, and that's. That's a big step forward and step in the right direction, I think. Yeah, and I think they are also uh, trying to sort out who the top cornerbacks are going to be when they're in base, which, again, they're, they're probably not going to be in base as much as they are going to be in sub-defenses. Uh, but I think they're trying to sort of sort it out. Who are their two starters? Who's their nickelback? Uh, what safeties are they going to have on the field at different times? And so I think that's part of it, too, still shuffling around and, and trying to make these guys compete. Okay, topic three, Scott. Let's talk kickers. Oh, boy. <laughs> when last we saw Austin Seibert, uh, I think it was uh, the end of mini camp. Um, he ended the final field goal session going one of four. Greg Joseph was four of four, so we kind of went into this stretch without football, um, kind of wondering who had the leg up here, you know, you have the fifth-round pick versus the incumbent, who obviously wasn't good enough to keep them from drafting a kicker in the fifth round. So over the first couple days here, or the first four days, um, Joseph hasn't missed in field goal sessions. He's say eight of eight. Austin Seibert was one of four today, which brought him up to four of eight overall. Um, you know, I think 
ultimately it's going to be decided in preseason games, but missing kicks in, in practice isn't good. They both missed from, I think, 45 and 51 into a moderate wind during uh, that drill at the end where they were trying to create a game-winning field goal situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Freddie Kitchens didn't sound any alarms afterwards. Maybe that was just for show. I'm sure he'd rather see his his kickers, uh, you know, there being more of a, an even competition. I'm sure John Dorsey would rather see Austin Seibert. I think uh, it was Friday when he <laughs> bounced one in off the goalpost, and, and there's Dorsey under the, the goalpost kind of throwing his arms up as maybe in some sort of mock relief. Um, but, yeah, I think at this point you have to wonder how much does Austin Seibert have to make up ground, or are they just going to say if you do well in the preseason games, you got the job. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. When you spend a fifth-round pick on a kicker, you would expect that he's going to make your team and be your kicker. Uh, but right now, as it stands, he really has work to do. He's got to step it up. You can't be missing kicks in preseason and win the job. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be fair and square if Greg Joseph, and Greg Joseph seems to have stepped it up. Yeah. And and he's kicking well. And, you know, if, if he's going to win the job just based on performance alone, then, you know, you have to be fair and give him the job. So we'll have to see how this goes. I think Greg Joseph got a little bit of a bad rap last year. I, I think part of it is because he missed some extra points. He missed right. too many extra points. That's, I mean, it's a problem. But I also think from a field goal perspective, I, I thought he did okay. I, I want to say he was, what, 17, 17 of 20? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's not bad. And he made a couple of big kicks for this team. He made the kick in overtime to beat Baltimore. Um, you know, this, this is a guy that... I think got a little bit of a bad rap. They kind of rescued him off the scrap heap. But he almost made the team in Miami last year. Uh, but kicker's got to matter. If, if you're a team that wants to win games, you've got to have a guy that you're going to be able to trust, you know, in a January game when you're playing next to Lake Erie or you're playing in Kansas City or in New England or one of these places where it's not easy to kick, uh, you're, you're going to have to have a guy out there that you can really trust. Uh, Mary Kay, back to you. All right, my next topic is Kareem Hunt. We talked to Dee and Jimmy Haslam today, and there were a number of takeaways from our conversation with them. But one of them was when I asked them about Kareem Hunt and the minor incident that he had recently outside of a bar downtown. It was a a minor argument with a friend. Supposedly, you know, there was, you know, it didn't get physical, and he was questioned by police. Nothing happened. It, for all intents and purposes, seems to be much ado about nothing, and the league isn't going to get involved. But D and Jimmy made it perfectly clear today. He still has work to do, and if he wants to be a member of the Cleveland Browns, he's going to have to work very, very hard. And as D said, it's truly up to him right now. Yeah, I, I think today's a, a kind of a reminder that week ten is a long ways away. I mean, week one is a long ways, long ways away, and then there's going to be eight games without Kareem Hunt, and he doesn't come back until week ten, and a lot can happen in that amount of time, and we don't know if he's going to be able to be with the team or not during that suspension. You know, hopefully he will be. I always think that's a good thing, and the league has kind of leaned in that direction over the last few years, uh, but we're a long ways from Kareem Hunt seeing the field. We haven't even seen him on the field here in, in training camp because of an injury, um, so just just remember, if you're, if you're writing Kareem Hunt in pen, November is a long ways away. Yeah, all I have to say is I was just... I was surprised by Dee's answer. I think you kind of expected it could have been something like, you know, he's yeah, you know, he's working and, you know, we're gonna we're gonna help him every step of the way and something along those lines. But when she came out and said that he had work to do, um, I think that caught some people off guard and 
they are still trying to convince the league to let Kareem be with the team while he's on suspension. Now, that's not the way it's normally done. And if they get that to happen, I mean, that's going to be an exception on the part of the NFL to let him stick with the team. But they want to keep an eye on him. They want him here where he is perfect. Can I, can I pull Freddie Kitchens? Sure. Can I go back to the last topic real quick? Yeah. There was something I wanted to mention because I, I think there's this idea that with the kickers, these maybe these practice kicks don't matter because of the preseason games. Yeah. I think we've covered enough kicking battles to know that sometimes you don't get a lot of kicks in preseason games. Sometimes yeah. you might get one, you might not get any. Um, I mean, you can go a while sometimes without getting a kick in a preseason game. So these misses by, by these kickers do matter. Although if, if, if the kickers aren't getting any opportunities in preseason, they have bigger problems than, than their kickers. That's true. <laughs> that means this <laughs> offense is not getting in position to score. So Okay, so I guess... Or they're just scoring touchdowns. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, see? <laughs> I, guess, I guess we're up. What a spirited debate yes. over kickers <laughs> in preseason. All right, topic number five or six. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, well, the owner spoke today, so there's lots to choose from there, and I think I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the uniforms. I, I, you know, that was going to come up today. I'm sure we're going to go with uniforms. The color rush uniforms could be in play. The Browns, of course, are getting new uniforms in, in 2020. I, I guess I'm just curious. Do you guys want to see a more traditional look? Do you want to see a complete overhaul? I think we kind of have an idea of what we're going to end up with. It's leaning more towards traditional, but if you were designing the uniforms. Would you go tradition, or would you go, hey, let's try this overhaul again? You know, I'd like to have a version, at least. I mean, Browns fans like tradition. They like the plain helmet. They like uh, the success of yesteryear and the look of yesteryear. But there's a whole new young generation of Browns fans that that are going to be coming on board now, that are OBJ fans, that are Baker fans, that are Jarvis fans, and and. Denzel and Miles, and this is not your father's Oldsmobile. And so I do think that there is going to be a whole segment of the population that would like something new and fresh. So if they are going to do uh, an older, you know, traditional version, I would still like to see something a little flashier and a little bit more fun. Yeah, I, the, the uniforms look great when you're winning. You yeah. Know? The uniforms they got right now, they'll be awesome if they're, you know, they're 12 and 4 as yeah. our colleague Doug Lee Maurice is predicting. Uh, beyond that, I'm surprised that the Browns don't do more with, with throwback uniforms. Um, if they came out in the Cardiac Kids look, I think fans would really eat that up. Um, even even the uh, Bernie Kosar era, yeah, the late 80s, um, something along that line. And if they promoted it that way, I think I think fans would really enjoy that. <laughs> they, they certainly want them to stick with it, I'm sure. Um, but they might get more color rush this year. They want to do that. And, and I, I think the fans, and I'm, I'm sure the majority would say that's that's a better option than what they have right now. I'm team tradition. I like the old uniforms. Yeah. I also like white at home, but I, I don't know. I might be in the minority on that one. White at home. You're like getting older, Dan. I know. You're growing up. I, right feel, old, I feel old saying that. Next I'm going to be <laughs> advocating for like numbers on the sides of the helmet. Or something <laughs> like that. Alright, so there's the uniform topic. Scott, we're over to you. Uh, let's talk John Trill Hilliard. Um, Alright. You know, he got a lot of publicity during OTAs and minicamp. Well, most mostly OTAs because Duke Johnson wasn't around. And Dontrell was getting those reps. And the coaches were talking him up. And people started to realize, hey, this is a guy who can catch the ball in the backfield. And he's, you know, he's fast. He's quick. And we've seen what he can do on, on kick returns. So um, he was getting a lot of hype then. And today, Duke Johnson was out for the second day in a row with uh, a hamstring. 
And Dancho, I think, uh, more so than yesterday, really kind of took advantage of things today. He got some first-team reps. It was him catching swing passes out of the backfield from Baker. And uh, he uh, probably had the best run of camp so far since at least they put pads on. Um, I believe it was with the second team, but he kind of came around uh, the right side. A uh, huge hole, not a huge hole, but a hole, the best blocking hole they've had so far in a run game opened up, and he sidestepped the tackle and kind of outraced Eric Murray down the sideline, and everybody kind of got excited and came up and congratulated him, and um, I think that was, that was probably a big moment for him, and showing that you know, he didn't have any carries last year. He caught nine passes, had no carries. He was mostly used uh, in, in kick return. Um, he's pr- pretty sure he's going to be on the team. What role he's going to have, who knows? I bet you know, if you take advantage of, of your opportunities when you know Duke Johnson's on the sideline, when Kareem Hunt's on the sideline, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that could work out for him. Yeah, uh, Freddie talked about that he expects to be getting some running backs back soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got, like you said, you've got Duke out, you've got Kareem out with the groin. I would expect that within the next couple of days we'll get one or two of those guys filtering back into practice. But it has been an opportunity for Dontrell uh, to really shine and to get a ton of reps, and he's making the most of that. I'll just give you guys some Dontrell Hilliard trivia because you guys touched <laughs> on the key points, but I did a story on him. Uh, I think it ran right before training camp. Uh, he wanted to be a civil engineer. Uh, he was in a. He went to a STEM. He went to a school, a magnet school, for uh, to play football, but also because of the uh, the engineering program. Mm. And he went to Tulane, which is not an easy school to get into. So uh, you know, he was also on the robotics team in high school. Wow. Yeah. How about that? I should have read the story. You should have read the story, <laughs> but I don't blame you. But all of you, please read the story, and I will read it on Tuesday, which is our next off day. Stop saying that out loud. <laughs> yes. All right, Mary Kay, we're up to you. All right, so again, we had Jimmy and Dee Haslam today. We covered a lot of ground, uh, but one of the things that they talked about, or two of the things that they talked about, this could be two topics, but for right now I'm going to put you already, one. Yeah, you already got your two topics, in, two for one. <laughs> Uh, okay, here's another twofer. They feel like they not only have their quarterback of the future, but their coach of the future. And Jimmy said today, we expect Freddie Kitchens to be our coach for a long time. So they feel as though they've hit upon that combination. And who knows yet how it will all work out. But based on the last eight games of last season, they think they've nailed it. And they're very excited about it. And instead of talking about, uh, you know, just all the kind of negative things that we've had to ask them about in the last how many ever years at these press conferences, uh, we are talking about great expectations, a really good quarterback, and a promising coach. And, you know, I I think if you – I guess if you ask the confidence level in in each guy, um, I think you'd have to say Baker over Freddie because we haven't seen Freddie do it yet. But obviously this is a guy they really believe in because they signed off on the hire. John Dorsey really believes in him because this was his first head coaching hire and he chose Freddie Kitchens. Um, So far, so good with Freddie. But again, we haven't seen him coach a game yet. We haven't seen how he deals with a loss or a losing streak or some adversity in the locker room. There's a lot still to find out with him. But uh, this whole thing is a lot easier when you've got your quarterback figured out and it makes everything else fall into place, and it can make your coach look really good as well. And then if your coach actually is really good on top of that, you can make a really nice run with these two guys. Somebody asked uh, Jimmy um, why Freddie Kitchens hadn't gotten uh, uh, an opportunity to be a head coach before this, and he, he talked about you know just being in the right place at the right time. Like you know if you're an offensive coordinator and you have a great quarterback to work with, that can end up getting you a job. And 
I think the, he, that led to him saying something like, uh, "There's bad decisions and good decisions and luck," and then that's they they might have hit on the luck part, you know, with with mm-hmm. Freddie Kitchens being in the building, and and just being in that right place in that right time to to. How often is that going to happen? Where where you have a guy who who takes over midway through the season and everything just clicks, and with a rookie quarterback no less, who's also learning the ropes, who's just. I think that was the luck portion, you know. There mm-hmm. were some good decisions made to get there, but you know. Some things had to break their way, and you know, here they are. Yeah, let's see how it goes. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with topic number eight, and I'm going to go with Jimmy and Dee's role here. And they, they were asked about this a little bit, and they've never really, you know, I understand why they don't want to really talk about it and say it, but I just really get the sense every time we see them now and every time they talk now that this thing, at least as far as the football side of things, this is John Dorsey's show. And they, I, it feels like they've seeded a lot of kind of the face of the team and a lot of the football decision-making to John Dorsey and his staff of Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith. It's a powerful group of football people in, in that side of the building. And I think that's sort of put Jimmy and Dee in a situation where the combination of that and the combination of the mistakes they've made, they've really kind of seeded a lot of the power that maybe they wielded before. And, and this is John Dorsey's show now. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier today and how the, the the idea here is that they pulled back and you don't see them as much. And I think some of that had to do with the fact that there was so much turnover and we were always hearing from Jimmy about the changes that were going to be made. And, you know, you're having a, a new general manager, a new coach, and, you know, and, and he's up there at the podium and it's the beginning of the season. And at the end of the season, there's the, the press conference where it was, somebody going to get fired and, and – it's a different it's a different space now and you know at the end of this season i i wouldn't think we're going to have that press conference where we're wondering uh what what change is going to be made it's going to be uh it's going to be somewhat different kind of like it was today so um making right decisions means you don't have to be out there explaining yourself as much and that's where they're at yeah and you know when you look back to all the false starts that they've had and all the mistakes that they made uh from the moment they took over this is the kind of guy they needed from day one you know, this is what you needed. You needed a very strong, authoritative, experienced football guy, a talent evaluator, uh, who could run the show and pull it all together. And they just couldn't find that guy until they hit upon John Dorsey. So everything is different. And it helps so much that Dorsey came in as a guy that's done it before. Yeah. Because they've tried so many guys that haven't done it before, and in that situation... Sometimes you get that, hey, you know, I want to pick this guy, but my boss really wants this guy. Maybe I'm going to go that direction instead. I'm going to keep the ownership happy. Well, John Dorsey's built good teams before. And John Dorsey has been in this league a long time, and he's going to do what he wants to do. And and I think that's really changed the dynamic of this team and and the trajectory of this team uh, with with him sort of becoming the the person that's really steering this ship forward. Um, and so far, it, it's been for the better for this franchise. And, and the other thing that stands that stood out to me, we didn't get Jimmy at the end of the season. We didn't. Which we didn't. was different. Normally, we've been there where we're standing in a hallway in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. or a hallway in Baltimore, and Jimmy comes out and talks for 10 minutes, and then we all go write it and get on the plane and go home. We didn't see Jimmy until the press conference to introduce Freddie Kitchens mm-hmm. and he wasn't at the podium. It was John Dorsey. So mm-hmm. I, I think the dynamic, even whether the Haslam's want to talk about it or not, 
the dynamic has definitely changed. Mm-hmm. All right, this is going to be our last topic because, like I said, we're giving Mary Kay a twofer for that first one. Uh, Scott, give us number 10. Well, I'm, I'm glad this is the last topic because it felt like a, a number 10. Let's talk about mustaches. <laughs> Baker Mayfield and the other quarterbacks, well, at least, was it everybody? I think it was everybody. Definitely Baker. Came out with a uh, pretty grown-in mustache. It wasn't... <laughs> It wasn't anything to, to brag about at this point, but it seems to be a thing that the quarterbacks are doing. The face of the Browns franchise has gone through some pretty uh, drastic facial changes, I think, since he's been drafted. You know, he had the clean-shaven look, then he went full beard earlier this season, got shaved for, for or earlier this offseason, got shaved for his wedding. What do you think about facial hair as a camaraderie thing? Is that Does that work? I wonder if there was some kind of a bet or something funny behind it because... I Were mean, they real? That, that was my first thing. Is that <laughs> well, real? Because you know I didn't notice anything yesterday. But he, no, he had a, like a goatee, a mustache beard thing yeah, when, we, when we interviewed him a couple days ago. That's right. So yeah. I think he just basically kind of shaved off the beard. I think that there was more mustache buzz going on today huh. than there needed to be. But <laughs> I think it was just because he shaved everything else yeah. off but the mustache and he, he looked like, uh, I don't know, like what? Well, our, our photographer, Josh yes. Gunter, said he looked a little bit like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> yeah, he says he can throw the football over the mountains. There you go. Didn't he say on Instagram, too, he's going to bring back the lettuce? Yes, he did yeah. say so he's, he's going to uh, bring back the I haven't lettuce. noticed how well that's been growing in, but he wants to bring back that lettuce that he, he had at, back the yeah, lettuce. that he had in Oklahoma. He's uh, going free-flowing. He should, he should go full 70s three-dog night look. If yeah. Kids at home, if you don't know, Google it. Yeah. <laughs> just the long hair, the mustache, just just you know. Well, with the beard, he was start, he was starting to look like Matt Patricia with the beard. So, <laughs> so I was kind of glad to see the big full beard go. But you know, I, I expect that that will be back. You know, maybe this is just the result of its training camp. I don't know how often these guys get to go home and, and see the family and. You know, he gets to see his his new wife Emily when you know after practice and stuff like that. But maybe he's got a little more wiggle room with growing the facial hair right now because he's not around as often. So he's he's doing the mustache. But then once camp is over, maybe that thing's going to be gone again. Well, it's going to be what Emily wants. So, well, if if it is there, we're going to have to start keeping track of wins and losses based on facial hair. Yeah. Well, I know somebody who would be great at that, and his name is Joey Morona. It's right up his alley. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We're Scott and Mary Kay. I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.